So I, I think that we should start like this. Okay. I, the thing that was is interesting to me about this whole thing. The thing that the one sentence that started this whole thing. Right. Was there was a band that accidentally created Milwaukee's first hip hop song, and it came up with this story idea. You were chatting. You said you were chatting with Andy Noble, huge record collector here in Milwaukee. He's like the record collector of Milwaukee, one of two. Yeah. And we he was were, telling you about it. So I was like, there are four ideas in that one sentence. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this band accidentally did this thing. They made the first of something, right? And it was Milwaukee, the city that we live in, and it was the first hip hop song. That's a heavy sentence just to kick off in a coffee shop one that's, day. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. So it's like this one sentence: this band accidentally made Milwaukee's first hip hop song. But I'm I don't I don't understand that. How do you accidentally? Okay, '70s. Think about back to the '70s, '80s when hip hop first started. You're not. This isn't like Drake. I'm accidentally singing on a track one day, or I'm accidentally rapping the next day. It's I'm going to rap. This thing doesn't exist or just existed for a year and a half, and I'm rapping now. This is why it interested me. All right, okay. So all right. this is the start. So okay. that was the start of what became the search for Milwaukee's first hip-hop song. This is Backspin, the search for Milwaukee's first hip-hop song. I'm Justin Barney. I'm the music director at 88.9 Radio Milwaukee. And my interest in this is kind of is academic. I want to know what the first hip hop song is that I want to answer that question. Yeah, my name is Tyrone Miller. I'm a DJ here in Milwaukee. Just been ingrained in the hip hop scene for the last decade or a little bit more than that. And I'm just a huge fan of hip hop. I'm kind of, if you heard J. Cole's new song, Middle Child. You know, he says he's little bro and big bro at once. I've been in the scene for a while, but I'm also working with a lot of young folks. So I'm just really curious about just hip hop in general. Love the culture, been a part of it my whole life. So I need to know this answer myself now. And I want to know about it for the story. Yeah. And the history. There is something in my D, in my DJ record collector mind yeah. that says there was a beginning. Because for, <laughs> for me, this is crazy that uh, hip hop is an entire culture, right. and before it, there was nothing. Yeah. And then after it, it is now the most popular, biggest genre in existence. Yeah. And there was something. There was yeah. a thing that started it all. And in Milwaukee. There was one song. There was the first. <laughs> zero, zero, one. And, and for me, it's, it's about the culture. I've known so many of the, of what I think are the originators or the people that started Milwaukee hip hop, whether they were the DJs, the MCs, the people on the radio. And I've worked with them in so many different capacities, so much respect for them. And we've never talked about that. I know maybe when they started DJing or when they started rapping just casually, but nobody has ever asked that question. Nobody has ever told me just straight up, yeah, I was the one. I did it. And uh, we'll see who we'll see who actually did. This is the city that we live in. Exactly. You know, like this is this is our story. Everyone's telling New York's story. Everyone's yeah. telling Atlanta's story. Right, right, right. And they're but great Milwaukee, stories. Great they're great stories. stories. You know what I'm saying? We love Outcast. I don't want to get the flag uh -huh. from Outcast. You know what I mean? <laughs> the South got something to say. We heard you say it. You know what I'm saying? Back in the day, we know about the West Coast. We know about NWA and everybody. All these movies. We just need one. We need the one from Milwaukee. And this uh -huh. this is what this is gonna be. We have it too. What are we calling this podcast? It's, this is Backspin, the search for Milwaukee's first hip-hop song. Are you ready? Backspin, the search for Milwaukee's first hip-hop song with 88.9 DJ Tyrone Miller 
and music director Justin Barney. On this episode of Backspin. Hip-hop didn't just create rappers. Hip-hop is about the music, it's about the words, the language, it's about the style, it's about the flavor, but it's also about the mindset. That moment very clearly was the music of my generation, whatever that meant. It was all-encompassing. It was our life. Yeah. It's just something we live. This is Backspin. Okay, so how do we get here? To talk about Milwaukee's first hip-hop song, we have to talk about hip-hop, the culture as a whole. Right, right. So how did we get from this? These are the breaks. Break it up, break it up, break it up. Now Peter, Piper, Pink Peppers, but run, rock, rhyme, Humpty, Dumpty, fell down. To this. I got, I got, I got, I got loyalty, got royalty inside my DNA. Call me, call me, call me. Just the idea that hip-hop came from nothing. That before it was R&B and right. after it was hip-hop. Right. For me, that that is crazy. That it was the, the birth of this culture. That this thing started from nowhere and it became something. I mean, that's crazy because... Thinking about hip-hop from where it started to now, now in 2019, hip-hop is the largest genre of music on the planet. And it's crazy because some people still don't even take it seriously in a lot of situations. Some people look down on it or whatever, but no matter what, the dollars are being spent, the influence has been had. I mean, in all, in just a 30 to 40 year, 40 year span, like how does that happen? Because it's connected everywhere, where it's the radio, whether it's movies, whether it's TV, whether it's fashion, it's in every piece of culture, sometimes too much, <laughs> but it's everywhere, you know? And so you got the nerdy backpack hip hop, when you had Tribe Called Quest, you know, the like early Kanye to like Childish Gambino stuff to now. And you got, you know, the radio stuff, you got the Drake, you got the whatever, it's everywhere, it's everything, man. And in order for us to understand where hip-hop is at now, we got to go back to the past. All the way back. And so into the room, I'm bringing in Jordan Lee. Jordan is our boss. Yes, yes, he is. He is the program director of 88.9 Radio Milwaukee. But, you know, before he was wearing that suit and tie, he was <laughs> a DJ for Milwaukee group, the Rusty Peas. He's also been a turntablist for 20 years. Over 20 years. Over 20 years. Like 22, 23. <laughs> Personally, I don't know anyone that is more passionate or qualified to talk about uh, hip-hop as a music and as a culture than our boss, Jordan Lee. What up, Jordan? Thanks, guys, for having me on. Yes, I am a self-proclaimed rap nerd. Yes, you are. I mm. absolutely love it. And you're right. If we're going to start from the beginning, let's start from the very beginning. So before there was hip-hop, there wasn't hip-hop. Correct. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> yeah. And then and then it happened, and suddenly it was there. Can you tell us about that moment? Yes. Because there was a moment. Yes. So we're talking about Milwaukee's first hip-hop song. Can you tell us about the first hip-hop song. Well, let's think about the mid-70s. Disco definitely helped black American culture rise, especially on the radio charts, yeah. especially as a way for, really, honestly, America as a whole to absorb black culture. Well, when the Disco Sucks movement begins, there's a whole... <laughs> population of New York black youth that do not feel connected to right, disco cause, anymore. Right, because by this time it's John Travolta disco, Exactly, not black folks disco. and that's not what they're doing. Right. So really, you got to go 1974-75 at fifteen twenty Sedwick Avenue, DJ Cool Herc hosting parties the in the Bronx, right? This is when it all began right here, and the way he DJed was what set him apart. 
as a Jamaican-born DJ, he was used to trying to make the sound system the most important part of the party. Mm. But beyond that, Herc wanted to take funk music and soul music and play it the way they were playing disco music in the discos. Two turntables, a nonstop flow. This is when DJ yeah. culture started to have these just continuous mixes, which didn't happen prior to that, to disco. So he takes that cue from disco, but he does it with funk music. So imagine a song like James Brown's Funky Drummer. I wanna buck the Looping that break again and again and again creates this break dancing. Fast forward, rap songs start to be created when these parties are bootlegged on the tape. Sometimes the DJs would bootleg their own parties and pass them on the hood. As this bootlegging process continues, MCs become popular. The Cold Crush Brothers, the Fantastic Five, the Treacherous Three, they become known uh, for the tapes and bootlegs that come out of their performances. These are the first rap songs, but they're not quite exactly what we know as a song yet. The first recorded rap song that really starts to gain traction is 1979 Rapper's Delight. I said a hip hop, the hip it, the hip it, the hip hip hop, you don't stop the rocket to the bang bang boogie, say up jump the boogie to the rhythm of the boogie to beat. Now what you hear is not a... In the summer of 1979, Sugar Hill Records, which was a made-up record label by the, by the way, creates the Sugar Hill Gang's Rapper's Delight. If you guys know the story of this song, it was actually stolen. The boys who uh, recorded the song were not actually rappers, but rather hung out with rappers at the time. And they stole all of the lyrics from Grandmaster Kaz, Casanova Fly, as he was known. So Wonder Mike's lyrics were not actually written by him at all. They were written by Grandmaster Kaz. And this is the first time America hears rap music because this becomes a breakout kind of niche success. This is kind of what you would have called at that time like a uh, a shtick record. You know, it's just something fun. It sounded like disco, but it had these guys doing these rhythmic syncopated lyrics on top of it. And it was like 11 minutes long. So yeah. obviously a radio flop, but a, a cultural hit. The first group to really take rap music out of the fad phase and become a popular art form for Americans, without a doubt, is Run DMC. All of the firsts are Run DMC. First to go platinum, first to be on MTV, first to be nominated for a Grammy, it's Run DMC. So I thought if we're gonna talk about the beginnings of rap music, who more qualified to talk to than Daryl McDaniels, DMC of Run DMC. And we talked about the old school. The old school is in a time period. There was a consciousness of how do I artistically and creatively present myself? And you know, a lot of people tend to think of hip hop you know, hip-hop didn't just create rappers. Hip-hop is about the music, it's about the words, the lingo, it's about the style, it's about the flavor, but it's also about the mindset. And the mindset in every American city is about the same. You're dealing with the same political, economic, and social strife, uh, whether you're in New York, Milwaukee, or Tulsa. And then hip-hop comes, and now you have these things that are relatively simple. MCing, DJing, breakdancing, graffiti, something everybody can just do. With no barrier. Right. No point of entry that's too hard to get into. This is not like a disco that you can't afford to. Or, this is not yeah, you super can't get, Right, you can't get in or right, some right, BS right. like this that. This isn't superstars with fancy cars and big things that you can't. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. This is at a level for you. It's attainable. It's accessible. 
it's for everyone. And all you got to do is be fresh. So whether that's just rocking the latest pair of Adidas, having some nice clothes, feeling good about yourself, expressing yourself in this new way, everybody can do it. That's the, that's the beauty of hip-hop. It's all-inclusive. It's not about having to go out and go through some scientific method and spend billions of dollars to do what we do. If you didn't have a dance floor, you pull out a piece of cardboard right. and dance on the street corner. Um, if you didn't have a DJ set, you could do the beatbox. Right. If you didn't know how to beatbox, your friend could beat on a table or a wall, right. and you could spit your verses. So it's funny that you use that word attainable. When you saw some fresh kicks, you could go right downtown, or you could go to the mall. Well, it wasn't malls back then. You could go to the local sneaker store and record store. You could get a fresh yes. pair of kicks. You could go buy that actual record. You could go buy that hat. If you couldn't afford real gazelles, you could just buy a fake pair of $2.50 sunglasses, but nobody um, belittled you because of it. It was attainable. The flavor and style was attainable. Hip-hop started right when disco was kind of dying. Like, as soon as people started saying disco sucks, a lot of people don't realize that hip-hop and punk rock was boiling at the same time. You know what I'm saying? If you was to come to New York in the early um, 80s, you would see, you know, Africa Bambata, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, Cool Modi when he was with the Treacherous Street. If you went downtown, you would walk in the club, you would see Bam, you would see Flash, you would see Modi, but you also would see the Ramones. You also would see Debbie Harry. People forget that even Debbie Harry made a rap record praising Grandmaster Flash. Fat Five Freddy told me everybody's slide. DJ spinning, I said, my, my. Flash is fast, Flash is cool. Exactly. Rapture was the first number one hit that rap music had. It wasn't even by a rap artist. But the <laughs> fact that this was a cross-cultural uh, phenomenon, it captured the hearts and minds of so many different people. It continues to have the hearts and minds of people today. And took off out of New York and spread out through the entire country, including the city that we live in, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Damn right, Milwaukee. And so much was happening in Milwaukee back at that same time. People don't know. People don't know this story, but, you know, that's why we're here telling this story, right? So to hear more about what Milwaukee was like back in the late 70s, early 80s, wanted to bring in two Milwaukee DJs who were DJs back then, still DJing now, who grew up, lived in the city, and have just amazing stories about what Milwaukee was like, JDL and DMT. But I just want to know, what was Milwaukee like back in the early 80s? Ooh. Fresh a, was the word. It was, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It was uh, exciting. It was um, Fresh, laid exciting. back. <laughs> it was our life. It was all encompassing. It was our life. Yeah. It's just something we lived. And it's easy for me to say the impoverished youth of back then needed something to latch on. It's easy to say that, but nobody was thinking that. One of the places that hip hop was finding an audience was at the skating rink. The Palace. And the Palace was the place to be. There was a big roller skating rink, you know, in the inner city. And that brought everybody together. Where? where, where? On Sixth Port and Washington Capitol. and Capitol Drive. Six and Cap okay. So it wasn't just JDL and DMT who were at the Palace, who were at the skating rinks. It was everybody. That was just a, if you want to hip hop, if you want to hear that music, if you want to be involved in the culture, you were at the skating rink. So the skate rink was like the safe place. And one of those people that was part of the culture coming up was DMT's cousin, Mike Love, who will go on to be a radio DJ. 
like you could just go there and hear the DJs play, and that's what the DMT and I literally would do, just go to hear DJs. You know, I didn't even want to put skates on because I couldn't skate. Yeah, man, the palace. The palace was definitely where you went uh, for for nerds. And when he says nerds, he means the people who were there for the music. Obviously, there's people there to skate, to show off, because it was awesome to show off if you could roller skate back in the late 70s, early 80s. But there were people there who just wanted to hear that music. But all the action wasn't just happening at the skating rink. When the skating rink closes, <laughs> you got to go to the party. At the parties, they pretty much were playing what was hot. And people were going everywhere to listen to this music, but it was one type of party that people went to all the time. Basement, basement parties. parties? Okay. Yep. What, were the, what was the basement party? Tell me about a basement party. You want to talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, to that me, was, that was, to me. cut it with a knife. You're talking about somebody's house is a regular ass Yeah, basement. in a basement. Yeah. Oh, my God. And people's moms. That's where you made your bones at, man. <laughs> Dude, let me tell you. Like, how many people are you fitting in the basement? It was at least whatever you can imagine. <laughs> hey, uh, I would say I can still remember this. Is this. On the regular. this is vivid. Like every weekend. Here. Yeah, this is like how vivid. How much does it cost to get in? It wasn't nothing. You, you just know, nobody. Free, yeah. A dollar, 50 cent. And you just. Ladies did, before it, 11 it was, free. It personally, over remember, there. Remember, we are like teenagers. <laughs> and so you did word of mouth, like party Saturday night, come through and y'all. No, yeah, you know, because then the flyers. Everybody came made flyers. Yeah, yeah, they were making. So that was going on for all the underage folk. You know, you go to the roller skating rink, you go to the basement party, grab a quarter, mm-hmm. hang out with your friends and get to the basement party, you see the flyer up. But for all the adults, for all the college-age folks, the people that can get out and truly enjoy the city, there were the clubs. Uh-huh. And here in Milwaukee, late 70s, early 80s, there were tons of clubs for young black and brown folks to get out and go to and enjoy. It doesn't seem like it would be like that, but it was like that, and it's just amazing to hear. I did a, a bit of a poll <laughs> um, of, of some friends who are, you know, approximately my age. We brought together Sarah Noble, longtime community activist, lifelong Milwaukee resident, and historians Reggie Jackson and Robert Smith to talk about what that club scene was like here in the city. And I know that there are clubs that are missing. Yeah. yeah. But we came up with 43. Wow. There were 43 clubs that what? we bounced from what? seven days a week. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. I went to a club called Upstairs Downstairs. It was mm-hmm. on third between Clark and Center, right? So the downstairs part was regular club, regular club hours. Upstairs was after hours. Mm-hmm. So, you know, bar closes 3.30 in the morning, you go upstairs. <laughs> and you continue, you know, <laughs> clubbing. Right. Until, you know, the sun came up. Yeah. Felt like going home, and then you went home. Um, but there were clubs all over the north side of the city, all over the east side, and the downtown area. You had so much to choose from. Wow. So give me, come on, Sarah, give me this list. I need, I need to Tell them about Sonny's on Broadway. I yeah, need, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there were actually, there was Sonny's on Broadway. There was regular Sonny's owned okay. by Black Sonny. All right. And there was Sonny's East owned by Black Sonny. So there were three bars, you wow. know, with that, you know, beginning yeah. uh, uh, of that name. All right. Uh, you ain't run the list? Go ahead. Go ahead and run what you got. Okay. Give me something. Okay. So there was the Baron. Um, there was a place called Ella's, um, and Mr. J's were on, Was you know, they were both on Center Street as well as Jackson. So you had three clubs within just a few blocks of each other on, on, on East Center Street. It was Sibonese, which Arliss is one of his, his clubs that was on North Avenue, right like near North Avenue in, in Lisbon. 
then he became... He, so 43 bars. I mean, that sounds like a lot, but this is Milwaukee. There is a bar <laughs> on every corner. That That is true, but there aren't bars on every corner that young black and brown folks can go to and just relax and let their hair down mm. and hear the music that they want to hear. You know what I mean? In this city, it's tough to just go to a place and play whatever rap music you want. And, and let me tell you, I'm a DJ. Yeah. And it's not that <laughs> easy all the Aggies, time. Robert D's, um, a place called Mr.'s, Boobies, mm-hmm. uh, the Academy. But to be able to late 70s, early 80s, and hear whatever music you want, have three or four options on one block, and not to say we got to go to the north side, south side, east side, west side to hear all of this. You can stay in your own community. You can support all of these black businesses in your community. There was Teddy's on Farwell. That's just something that I wish we had today. It was something called Yancey's Space Lounge on Houghton. <laughs> wow. Mm. I, I know that that's mm. not all of the clubs. Music wasn't just nightlife. Music goes on in everybody's daily life, too. And people were buying records to listen to music. I talked to Daryl D., who made a documentary about early Milwaukee hip-hop around the same era that we're talking about here. Hello. Hey. How you doing, Justin? Good. How are you? And uh, he really focused in on this trio of record stores oh, man. called Audie's Records. Audie's was, I missed that place so much. Audie's was the place, though, for anything that was rap, jazz, gospel, R&B, reggae, funk, any of that stuff. All of those places was where you went and bought all your rap records. The cool thing about Audie's then is that they had a lot more rap music than your average store. And then I don't know if you ever heard or remember Renner Records, which is right on Capitol and Fond du Lac, mm-hmm. right there on that corner. Renner Record was a huge record store. And you could literally rent records there. Wow. Like you literally could go there, rent an album for $7. You could keep it the whole weekend, That's and then you could take it back. Like, go get it on a Friday, take it back on Sunday, and they would buy it back for $5. That's insane. Yeah, wow. it was uh, some Jamaican dude that used to that used to run it. Wow, that's crazy. And it was a huge store, you know what I mean? So that was my go-to place, you know, for years and years. Like I said, all these and the, these places didn't become really, really special until long after they were gone. Right. Then you can look back and say, oh, man, this place was great. But back then, it was just business as usual. Record stores were like neighborhood shops. So you went to whatever store was in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You didn't go across town to go to this store or that store because every store was, you know, for the most part, equally armed. Record stores kept the records in kids' hands in in the streets and in their neighborhoods. And this is a time in Milwaukee where neighborhoods are a little tighter, a little more self-contained. And Sarah Noble told us just about how the neighborhoods were a little more neighborly. Not only do you have a community that is full of places for us to go, but still at this point, we have access to all of the resources we need. They weren't all gone by between the late 70s and early 80s. I could still grocery shop. 
You know, I, I could still find what I needed. There was still mom and pop, um, you know, drugstores still existing in the city. And, you know, I got my gas on 4th and Center from the Leverenston family, mm-hmm. you know, who owned that. And they owned a, a, a car repair, you know, on, on 9th and, and Center. So what you needed was still in the community. Don't you give me all that job about things you wrote before I was alive. Now we're, you know, we're in the 80s and like hip hop is coming out. We got, you know, Rapper's Delight. We got Curtis Blow. We got all these songs, like Christmas rapping, like is, is coming out. Like what are y'all, what, what, what was this y'all impression when you first started hearing people rap in this new genre hip hop? What, what was it like, you know, Robert? I, I'll go first. I, you know, I want to make sure the listeners know I'm not from Milwaukee, but I know this story is, is our story. Yeah. I was in the basement with some buddies of mine. I couldn't have been any more than 11 or 12 years old. And a guy walks in with a tape. One of my buddies walks in with a tape, puts it in, and he's, there's this sound coming out of this tape that at that moment very clearly was the music of my generation, whatever that meant. I didn't say that at the time. I didn't have that, the language of that at the time. Mm-hmm. But it was clear in that moment in the basement with three or four guys sitting around, we, we knew something was happening, and the sound on the radio was hip-hop music. But it wasn't so much the music of my generation. It was gotcha. really a little, you know, a generation a little behind me. So my nephews were the ones that introduced it to to me, and they formed, you know, you know their own like you know yeah. break dancing and you know hip hop kind of you know. Uh, did, you, music did you accept hip hop when it came? I out? did. Yeah. Okay. I did. You, it wasn't rapidy no, rap. It wasn't that. Mm-mm. It wasn't okay. Right. Because it was not that. Okay. I mean, it was. It was. You know, in my opinion. It was something um, that you could embrace because you knew that, you know, what they were saying, it was the people's language. They were, yeah. What they were speaking about was something that resonated, whether you were a little older or not. So I think what we're hearing here is that the Milwaukee music scene was cracking. Exactly. I mean, you think about this, the palace, the skating rink. I have not been to a skating rink in 20 years. And when I did go, I was at the arcade the whole time. <laughs> you know, it just was not that fun. But back then, that was the place to be. And for me, I like hanging out in record stores in Milwaukee. Yeah. And I love Daryl D talking about Audie's record stores and the idea of a record store on every corner. I mean, as a DJ, can you imagine no. renting records to do your, <laughs> Just to for do the your gigs and then to return them? On Let the me weekend? rent this Luther Vandross for three days and then take it back because I don't need it for the, anymore. That's crazy. Clearly, there was this music culture in Milwaukee that hit everywhere it wasn't just in the club or just the people listening to records it was just all a part of everywhere you went in milwaukee i mean if we look at this from a culture perspective there's all this stuff going on there is a demand yeah you know if we're talking economics (laughs) there's got to be a supply there is another side of this equation if we're going to be spinning records if Mm -hmm. we're going to be playing records if we're going to be listening to music there's got to be someone who made the music, who booked the band, who booked the studio time, who pressed the record, who sent it to the radio. With this music, there's this opportunity. There's this opportunity Mm -hmm. to make money, to just make more music if you wanted to, to become famous, to get on the radio. And then think about it. The radio was so much more important than it is now because now you can get on a blog, you can get on the Internet. But where else would people, especially in your own city, hear the music that you made except for on the radio? So there is one man center to this story of Milwaukee's first hip-hop song. This first accidental hip-hop song that we're talking about. And part of the reason that is is accidental is because it was a business decision. 
And if we're going to talk about Milwaukee's first hip-hop song, there's one man who saw the opportunity to make money by making the first hip-hop song. So so are you saying Milwaukee had its own wannabe Suge Knight slash Puff Daddy back in the late 70s? Is An that what we're saying? outsized character? <laughs> yes. Okay. We got to talk about Arvell Love. Hey, this is Backspin executive producer Nate Imig. We thank you for listening, and we've got some thank yous to do ourselves. Backspin, the search for Milwaukee's first hip-hop song, is hosted by Tyrone Miller and Justin Barney, produced by Jordan Lee and Kenny Perez, with segment producing by Salam Fatayer. Evan Retleski does our web content. Sarah McClanahan is 88.9's marketing director, with social media managed by Amelinda Burrich. Digital distribution by Tariq Moody. Aaron Bagata is our marketing coordinator. Community outreach by Peter Adams and Maddie Reardon. Project management support by Laura Kesman. And animation from Lucas Seidel. Also want to thank our interns, Zoe Knox, Anthony Massans, and Jonathan Hudson. Of course, a big thanks to our partners, RevPop, The License Lab, Hip Hop Week MKE, and Kid Millions. He dug up all that amazing vinyl that you hear in the podcast. Also thanks to our media partners on Milwaukee, Breaking and Entering, and The Milwaukee Times. You can stream all six episodes of Backspin, the search for Milwaukee's first hip-hop song, on all major podcast platforms, and of course at RadioMilwaukee.org slash Backspin. Backspin, the search for Milwaukee's first hip-hop song, is an original podcast production of 88.9 Radio Milwaukee.